Midnight Syndicate. For more dark instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. Hello, everyone. This is Freshly Brewed Noir, and I'm Summer. And I'm Jennifer. And this is our first podcast and first episode. That's right. That's right. Of our true crime, paranormal-esque. All the eerie, obscure crimes, just all the good stuff. Yes. I don't think we have much business to handle. Since no this housekeeping. Is, so we can just jump right into this case. And this is the Dyatlov Pass incident? It is. Dyatlov Pass, it actually occurred in Russia. On February 1st to the 2nd of 1959, there were nine experienced Russian hikers that went on this expedition. It was going to last about 14 days, and they were camping in Kalatsakal. Uh, actually, you did very well. I was, that's a tough <laughs> one to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's in the Ural Mountain Range. So they were trying to get to Otorten Mountain. And am I reading this right? See, Uncle Mountain is known as Dead Mountain? Yes. Yes, and actually, Ortorton Mountain that they were trying to get to also translates to Mountain of the Dead Men. Okay, that seems like a bad choice. Yes, ominous from the outset. I don't think, you know, if I was going to go on a hiking expedition, if that would ever happen. I mean, would you even, I would never even hike. Hiking itself is ominous to me. And I don't want yes. to be hiking. Props to people who like to hike because it's not my thing. You, have, mm. you need a lot of endurance. And that's a lot of work. We stay away from hiking, definitely. Physical activity. Props to you guys. Yes, yes. And these, all these people, it says they were very experienced hikers. Yeah. Um, I think actually all of them were used to traveling in Category 3, which is the worst conditions um, or the most extreme conditions. I do kind of want to just get into who they are. So I'll name them. And just give a brief description, but I do want to put a disclaimer out there to say that these are Russian names and I am not fluent in... Do you think you're going to have issues with these names? Oh, (laughs) I might butcher them. I don't know why. (laughs) They seem just very standard to me. These students were um, either... Well, they were students or graduates of Ural Polytechnical Institute. They consisted of eight men and two women. The leader of the group was Igor Dyatlov. The whole incident's named after him. So he had been used to hiking. He hiked with his family a ton. And since seventh grade, which is impressive in itself, Mm -hmm. he was actually a student of the fifth faculty of radio engineering at UPI University. He was an engineer and he actually designed and assembled radios, stoves, things like that, which... Very talented. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And so he did bring some of those things with him on the trip. Okay. That he made. Right? Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we have Yuri Doroshenko. He was a fourth year student of radio engineering at UPI. He was a impulsive personality, very reserved. And actually he was known um, for running at a bear with a hammer. Why? Because the bear was, they were hiking. There was a bear. He and wanted he ran to protect after his, the bear? To protect his, his friends that he was hiking with. 
Okay. Yes. Was he showing off for a girl? He was probably showing off for a lady. He was probably. Mm-hmm. It's actually one of the girls that is on the trip with him oh. at this time. So yes. Next we have Liuta Dubanina, and she was the youngest of the group, only 20 years old. But her picture makes her look like she's 70. <laughs> um, you know, maybe that's terrible just her. pictures back then of women. <laughs> terrible. Right. Maybe that's like her her fierceness coming out, you know, like her. I'm sorry, but 20? I don't know. Maybe those hiking years. It's a bad years, cameraman. The hiking years, you, maybe they put some, they add some years they to add your. some years on there. All those things you have to go through. Yeah, or decades. Right, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> so she was the fourth year student at UPI. Um, she was an engineering and economics major. She took an active part in activities of an institute sports club. She loved to sing and take pictures, and she was a great photographer. She had considerable mountaineering experience. Yeah, she was she was fierce. She had a lot going on. Yes. Um, she actually got shot during one of her <laughs> expeditions. And <laughs> yes, and and survived. Was it by Yuri? And finished it. <laughs> it was not by Yuri. <laughs> was she coming at him and just shot her? I believe it was by a hunter. Just on accident? Yes. Wow. Next, we have Alexander Kolvatov, and he is actually very impressive. (laughs) Nuclear physics. Okay. He was a fourth-year student, a physics major at UPI. He was the fifth of six children, and he is the only boy in his family. He distinguished himself as a student, moved to Moscow to work in a secret institute of the military or the Ministry of Medium Machine Building. Later, he moved to the Research Institute of Inorganic Materials that was engaged in producing materials for growing nuclear industry. So he was around a bunch of radioactive stuff, I'd say. His friends described him as diligent and methodical, clear leadership skills. But not to lead this expedition. No, no, no. No. Mm-mm. But that he was, was good. Igor. He was, yes, he was good to have on the trip, though. So next we have Zenaida Komagorva. And I probably but but I think that. You, I think you're doing very well with the names. You're doing great. She was a fifth year student at UPI University as a radio engineering major. She was an experienced hiker who had a share of difficulties, and during one of her trips, she was bitten by a viper. Oh my Why gosh. are the women always I the ones getting, getting like, shot in the leg, bitten by the vipers, having savage. bad pictures taken of themselves? <laughs> but actually, I terrible. Think Hers is better. Yeah. It's like she could be 20 or she could be 75. It's a little ambiguous. Huh? <laughs> yes. Is that a good thing? A bad thing? I don't know. But, I mean, two. She was fierce, too. She Ooh. was, yes. And she was actually one of the more popular girls. Very attractive. Mm-hmm. Uh, very outgoing. So guys were definitely drawn to her. Next on the list, we have Yuri Krivonshenkel. He was known as Georgie as well. I like and that he, I love his ears. He has great ears. Very prominent ears. He's got an adorable face. He does, yes. And I have to say, like, just looking at all the photos, everyone is, I think they're pretty photogenic and they have their own old-fashioned beauty to them, right? Do you, like that old-fashioned look. Now, is that for Dubanina? You believe that? You want to hold on to that statement? <laughs> she, you know what? She looks resilient. She's very resilient, except, well, we find out later. <laughs> so, so when it comes to Georgie, he studied construction and hydraulics. 
And he was the one. He liked, I think he liked to take out his mandolin and just... His mandolin? I think so, Is that the yes. little tiny guitar? Like... Yes. He was the life of the party with his mandolin. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. Okay. Can you imagine him with his ears and no. his mandolin? So there's people bringing stereos they made on the trip and mandolins and there's all these so much scientists. Talent. So much talent. There's a lot going on. And they hike. I mean, on top of all of the stuff they can already do. And this was back in the 50s where it's like you had no choice but to learn other skills. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Many props to them. Next, we have Rustam Slobodin. Okay, he's the one that you thought was cute, right? Yeah, he's got that that smize he kind d- of like... He does. He looks sweet. He yeah. does, yep. And I think he's got some kind of Asian blood in him is what I was reading. Okay, so you were feeling that connection. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that's the Asian we're, connection. We're connected. <laughs> you felt it, okay. <laughs> I might be mistaken, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what I read. It could be. Um, he graduated from UPI in 1958, working in Enterprise, P.O. Box 10 at the time of the events. He was a pretty Not athletic Box dude. 12? 10. Okay, just, just checking. <laughs> you... I've heard there's, you know, some worked at P.O. Box 12. I just wanted to get that clear. <laughs> so he was very athletic, honest, and decent. He was a long-distance runner, and he also liked to play the mandolin. I think the mandolin They was... had two mandolin players on this hike. Yes. They sure did. Did they both bring their mandolins? I did not hear that he brought his, but I know Georgie. Georgie brought his. Maybe if uh, Rustam had brought his, things would have turned out better. Possibly. Yes. Two mandolin players are stronger than one. Is that like good karma? It might be. Okay. In Russia, we don't know. We don't know, but maybe that's why everyone played it, huh? Yeah. Okay. Sounds like, is there another mandolin player? <laughs> I that... don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Just two, okay. Just two mandolin players. Yes. Next, we have, and this one's going to be a tough one. Oh, this is yours right here. Take it home. So we got Nikolai Thibault Brignol. You did excellent. Thank you. Thank Very you. Impressed. I practiced. I know. He graduated in 1958 with the major in civil engineering from UPI. At the time of his death, he was working in construction. Uh, he had experience in hiking trips of various categories, and he was a pretty popular guy as well. He had a lot of energy, very friendly, lots of humor. Now we will get to the older uh, member of the group. This is my favorite. His name is Semyon Zolotaryov. What did they call him? He was known as Sasha. Love it. And so, the, and that's how we will refer to him in and, this episode. And because... he has the sweetest handlebar mustache. It's so cute. It's it really is. It gives him so much personality. It just adds and that, that little curl in in front, kind of like the Superman curl. Yes, kind of like an old timey look. Mm-hmm. But but it, this was the fifties, right? Yeah, so almost the sixties. Yep. So yeah, so. He definitely has a very very older look. You gotta love that mustache. I do. I love it so much. <laughs> and he was 38. He graduated from the Institute of Physical Education in Minsk. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Minsk. He wore a mink. <laughs> in 1950. So he was an instructor for the Korkov tour base at the time of his death. He was the oldest, most mysterious member of the group. Well, the mustache. Yeah, he was mysterious. It definitely adds some mystery. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I could grow a mustache like that. I probably could grow a mustache like that. (laughs) (laughs) Just to have that, like, mysterious aura about you? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And actually, I think when he joined the group, the members were 
hesitant because I thought maybe he'd want to take over. He was one who was in the military. He had survived a very extreme Russian war where only like 3% of the Russians survived. So he's a survivor. So they thought he was he was going to want to take over and be the leader of the group. Like being the senior member of the group. Right. Okay. But he didn't. He just stood back and let Igor kind of handle things. And I thought that was pretty cool. It could have been called the Sasha incident is what you're saying. Very close. Very close. Almost. Okay. (laughs) The Sasha Pass incident. The Sasha Pass incident. Okay. The Dyatlov Pass, that does sound a little little spookier. It does. Yep. It adds, you know, that foreign Mm -hmm. kind of... Yeah. Sasha incident almost sounds fun. It does. does. (laughs) This was not fun for them. No, it wasn't. Not, you know, how it all ended. No. So the last member of the group, his name was Yuri Yudin. And he actually had a bunch of uh, ailments so he had a uh, heart defect, rheumatism, chronic pain. He but... was only 21. Right. Yeah. But he was also an experienced hiker. I couldn't find much about him, even though he was the sole survivor. So one of the Yuris survived. Yes. We have three Yuris on this group. I'm assuming that's the Jennifer uh, of Russia. Yes. <laughs> All the Yuris. <laughs> yes. That's the popular name. So so we have our 10 members. Now, to get into the incident, I just want everyone to remember that this is a very experienced group of hikers. They had been on multiple, multiple uh, excursions, or is this what it's, that's what it's called? Do they, what do they call them in Russia? Expeditions. Expeditions. <laughs> that makes sense. All the Yeti stuff is like expedition Everest expedition yes mm-hmm. okay and this was a category three that they were going into which is the most severe mm-hmm. okay yep yep so it starts out on january 25th the group arrives by train at evedale then took a train to Vizai. Viz hey Viz sure hey Viz hey Viz hey which was the last inhabited settlement that far north they stocked up on loaves of bread to keep up their energy for the next day. Then on January 27th, they started their march towards O'Torton, Mountain of the Dead. Because that's where you go when you're in Russia, is you hike the Mountain of the Dead. That's badass. And yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, nothing stops Do them. Do they give they out care. medals for that? <laughs> like 5K medals? If there were gimmicks, I think we'd do it. We but would. There are no gimmicks. Yeah. I don't know though if we'd hike a mountain of the dead. Maybe if it was like Halloween themed with oh, balloons and absolutely and neon lights. I would do it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if it was gimmicky. Yeah. Yeah. But the, to to my knowledge, no gimmicks. Okay. Very serious. Okay. So they started their march towards Otorten, but the next day Yuri Yudin was forced to return because of you know, his chronic health issues. So he could not overcome them. He was forced to leave. And I know that he was saddened to do that, but it ended up saving his life. The hike started out late on February 1st, and they only traveled 2.5 miles that day. Additional gear and food were stored on a platform in a forest called Iabaz, or their camp. Uh, camp was set up around five on the slope of uh, Kolat Siakal, which was 10 miles from Otorten. They had their dinner between six to seven, and then one or two of the members of the group went out to relieve themselves. Presume, and we presume it was uh, Semyon, 
which is Sasha, Sasha and Nikolai the Beau Bignol. Igor was supposed to send a telegram to their sports club as soon as the group returned to Visay. It was expected that this would happen no later than February 12th, but he told Yudin that he was that he expected it to be longer. And so when the date passed, no message no message was received, and they didn't really think anything of it. On February 20th, the relatives of the travelers demanded that a rescue team, you know, go and look for them. Eventually, the head of the institute did send a rescue group to go look, and they consisted of the volunteer students and teachers. And then eventually the police and the army had to get involved as well. But they waited a week to send help? They did because... They're experienced, so they're probably going to be fine. Uh, Maybe they wanted to, you know, take in the nature. And because Dyatlov told Yudin that he expected it to be longer, they really didn't see any cause for alarm. And I guess you wouldn't assume anything's wrong with, like, that group of really experienced hikers anyway. Exactly. Yeah, everyone had... They had so much experience in their hikes and their hiking that... They weren't concerned. Okay. Correct. So when they went to go look for the hikers, on February 26th was when the tent was found. Mihail Sharavan Sharavan, was the student who found them. They found the tent, and it was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty, and all of the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. The investigators said that the tent had been cut open from the inside, and the skiers had fled in socks or barefoot. There was a chain of eight or nine sets of footprints that were left by several people wearing socks, a single shoe, or barefoot. And they could be followed and led down towards the edge of the nearby woods. Okay, so were they, they called them skiers. Were they? Did they bring, like, ski equipment and stuff since they were up in the snow? Yeah, there's photographs of them skiing mm-hmm, okay. with all that equipment. Why would they have to cut it out from the inside? So there's some theories about that, um, and I think we'll cover that more towards the end when we explore what all the Possible. different theories, possibilities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Under a large cedar tree, the search party found the remains of a fire, along with the first two bodies of Yuri Kriv- Krivoshenko and Yuri Doroshenko. They were shoeless and were dressed only in their underwear. And then the branches on the tree were broken up about five meters high, suggesting that the skiers had climbed up uh, looking for something. The forensic tests later confirmed that the traces of skin, there were traces of skin found in the bark. Maybe sounds like they were fran- frantically like climbing it up, and just maybe to get away from something. Cut. Okay. Yeah, because there was like pulpy flesh. Gross. Pulpy, <laughs> a mass of pulpy flesh was uh, found? On your hands, imagine that. Like that's um, such a thin layer of skin anyway. They I were just, really like they, yeah. grabbing that. It had to mean that they weren't being careful. You know, it was... That, like the force scared for of their that. lives or right. something? Okay. Right. You're like, like that pain didn't even matter. Compared to whatever they were looking at or what was around. Right. The medical examiner recorded that some of the corpses had liver mortis on the front. And since marks like that always form on the side of the body that's been pressed against the ground, this indicated that someone had turned them over after they died. Like one of the other hikers? Or Possibly. a third party? Possibly. A Yeti? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> a day later, between the cedar tree and the tent, the searchers found Igor Dyatlov and Zenaida Kolmogorva. And six days later, on March 5th, they found Rustem Slobodin. 
The three seem to have died in poses, suggesting that they were returning to the tent. A medical examination found that there were no injuries which might have led to their death, and it was concluded that they had died of hypothermia. Slobodin did have a small crack in the skull, but it wasn't thought to be fatal, and the legal inquest started immediately after finding the first five bodies. So at this point, four bodies are still missing. Both of the Yuris or one of the Yuris? They found both of the Yuris. That's right, both of the Yuris. Yeah, they found both of the Yuris first. The other four bodies weren't found until two months later, and they were found on May 5th under four meters of snow in a ravine farther into the woods from the cedar tree. The four were better dressed, and there were signs that those who had died first had apparently given their clothes to the others. Zolotaryov was wearing Dubonina's faux fur coat and hat, while... Wait, is Zolotaryov, is that Sasha? Yes. Of course he was wearing the fur hat, because he's he's stylish. (laughs) He is. He's like, I'm not going out without a fur coat. That's right. (laughs) See, I knew I liked him for some reason. Oh, Sasha... While he was wearing that, Dubonina's foot was wrapped in a piece of Krivonchenko's wool pants. So do you think they took clothing from the deceased? It's hikers? possible. That's sad. So they would have already known that their friends died. Yeah. Or do you think the friends were still alive and then said, hey, if you're going out to try and get help for whatever reason, take some extra clothing? It's hard to say because they give them their clothes, but it, was it an instant death? Were they just sitting there freezing? You know, did they have time to think about that stuff? It's really hard to say. An examination of the four bodies found in May, it changed the course of the whole investigation. Three of them had fatal injuries, and the body of Thibault Brignol had major skull damage. Dubonina and Zolotaryov have major chest fractures, and according to Dr. Boris Vazar-Denny, the force required to cause such damage would have been extremely high. He compared it to the force of a car crash, which, you know, what That's could cause that? like a big tree limb falling? Yeah, it could be. Um, it would just have had to have hit them at the same time. Like, they would have had to be sleeping and it hit them? That's a far distance for them to just... Do you mean after they ran from the tent? Right, after they ran from the tent. Because didn't they have, like, another area where they were set up? I mean, we go back and we think they had that camp, extra storage for food and things like yeah. that. Maybe that's where they were going? Maybe when they left the tent, they didn't know which direction they were going in. It might have been dark, and they could have just been That's scattered. why one plays a mandolin, and the other one is at camp, and they can play the mandolins and listen to each other and find Possibly. their way back. True. That's probably why everyone plays the mandolin. But they only had one on the trip. I knew it would be a problem, having only one mandolin. And that's where it comes into play. Yes, there it is, right there. <laughs> Dubonina was found to be missing her tongue. Like, yes. And the group clearly realized that their threat and did everything that they could to preserve themselves. They had managed to dig out a den in the snow, lay it down with branches to stay warm. Things got a little bit more bizarre. The bodies were actually found a few feet from their improvised shelter in the deep part of the ravine. Some of the hikers' clothing were found to be radioactive. Wasn't one of the Yuri's, he worked with like radioactive material or something? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I believe Georgie did too. Georgie did too. Okay. Yes. So those two, I mean, that could definitely be a link there, but we don't know. And from what I was looking at, apparently everything has some level of radioactive activity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could have been like the natural elements getting to it that added to it, but the jump from normal everyday radioactivity it was there was a drastic difference in that okay so like some other exposure besides just natural elements right mm-hmm. all four bodies found at the bottom of the creek in a running stream of water had st- soft tissue damage to their head and face 
For example, Dubonina was missing her tongue, eyes, and part of her lips, as well as facial tissue and fragments of the skull bone. While Zolotaryov had his eyeballs missing and Alexander Kolvatov had his eyebrows were missing. Just his eyebrows? That's strange. Is that like the radioactive? No, it's probably just, you know, the soft tissue damage from the water or the natural elements. I mean, when you're in the decomp stage, Mm -hmm. I think it's the sad truth when you're... Was Sasha's mustache still there? I think so. Okay. (laughs) That was probably the last to go. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Went out strong. Go, Sasha. The forensic expert performing the postmortem examination judged that these injuries happened postmortem due to the location of the bodies. Okay, and this is what I had asked you about because I had thought I heard something where they thought Dubonina was alive when her tongue was ripped out. There, Yeah, there are theories of that. Some people speculate that it was a wild animal that maybe took out her tongue or it was cut out. Because of the masks that they have found with the congealing of the blood, they determined that that was just probably food absorbing the blood. So they didn't think it was actually ripped out while she was still alive. Right. Okay. I think that they eventually came to the conclusion that it was the water, the natural elements that... And then wild animals getting to the bodies. I don't even think it was the wild animals. So just like water would rip out her tongue and eyeballs and lips. (laughs) This is why I don't hike. (laughs) We haven't even gotten to all the theories. This is just what the medical examiner has stated. Okay. I do like your diagram here. Yeah. So we have a diagram showing who was found first... The distance from the cedar tree and the tent. Um, you can definitely see the differences. Yeah, how far away they were. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a good idea. Oh, like, and so Sasha was in the creek. Yes, part of him was. And then Nikolai was totally in the creek. Yep. So a lot of these bodies, they already had damage, so much damage to them when they were found. And they were decomposing mm-hmm. probably at a really fast rate after the snow went down, huh? Yep. Now we can kind of get into the multiple theories that are out there. There are a lot. I only mentioned about... (laughs) I only mentioned about 20. (laughs) (laughs) About nine of them. (laughs) If you want to look into the others that I didn't mention, they're all over the internet. So the first I want to cover is the possibility that there was a murder by the indigenous people. They are actually reindeer herders to the local area. And they thought maybe they were attacked for encroaching on their land. It just wasn't possible because there weren't footprints going towards the camp. It was all footprints going away from the tent. That would just be the hikers, skiers, leaving the tent. Mm -hmm. Nobody going to the tent. So that one's kind of out, huh? Yes, and the force that caused their death, there was no way, like, humans could do that. So that's beyond human capability to inflict... Like the, the huge wounds in the chest of two of them, right? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And like like they said, it was like the impact of a car crash. So the Humans indigenous can't do that. people wouldn't have had those kind of um, like weapons up there mm-hmm. in the woods to carry that out anyway. Right. Okay, so that one seems like it's not likely. The next one we can talk about is catabatic winds. So they said that back in 1978, there was a case of at the Anaris Mountains in Sweden where eight hikers were killed. One was severely injured. In the aftermath of a catabatic wind. It's a very violent kind of wind. And they're rare, but they can kill you. They can happen. Okay. Yeah. But how would that create the gashes in the chest, though? Yeah. I don't know about that one. I don't think that is. I'm scratching that one off. I don't believe it. (laughs) I agree. The next one is actually pretty interesting. I starred this one. I think this one might have something. It's called Infrasound. And I was actually um, listening to Dead Mountain 
by Donnie Ecker. Um, and he talks about this wind phenomenon that can cause very low vibration sounds, which can cause panic and fear in the human body. So they think that with this theory, the sound they heard this sound and like it messes with their inner ear or something and yep and they freaked out and they ran out of their tent uh froze to death because um, it causes fear irrational dread that's a possibility it got them disoriented and then they just kind of freaked out and started running yep and like cut themselves out of the tent and just ran yep and sasha grabbed his fur hats and <laughs> Somebody grabbed the mandolin and they just started running down the hill. I mean, it's an interesting phenomenon. That's one of the more obscure theories that are out there. Another theory is military testing. And so around that time, the Soviet Union was conducting parachute mine testing. There are records to confirm that they were doing this around that time and in that area. The parachute mines... They explode or they detonate in the air and they could cause that kind of damage to like, the human body. Like what Sasha had to yeah. his chest. So that could be caused by the parachute mine. Yeah, like that force, okay. that internal, external damage. There's also a theory that alleges there's the testing of radiological weapons and maybe that could be why their clothes were radioactive. That would make sense. If someone's used to like working in that field, then their clothes probably have traces of that on there. That would explain the radioactivity. And then if these bombs were going off, why wouldn't everyone have died that way? Or, you know, some parachute bombs are going off and it does get Sasha and the other hiker. Dubonina. Dubonina. So those two would have been hit by it, but nobody else had that kind of injury. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. they probably wouldn't just run off into the woods and, and freak out, right? Half naked. Yeah, why would might. you do that? You're like, oh, no. Yeah, that seems like a very, like, immediate response. Yeah, right. where, like, you don't have time to give other people your clothes or take them from somebody. What do you think? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. No. The next one is paradoxal undressing. The International Science Times posted that the hikers' deaths were caused by hypothermia, which can induce the behavior known as paradoxal undressing. It's basically like you're freezing, but you feel like you're burning. So that's why they take off their clothes, and you know maybe that's the explanation as to why they're found half naked. So maybe some of the hikers were experiencing hypothermia. They were. Actually, it's determined that I think majority of them died of hypothermia. But why would they experience that? Like, they were skilled hikers. Didn't they have things to keep warm while they were up there? Oh, yeah, they sure did. So then I don't know about that. That sounds right that they eventually experienced that once they were out in the elements. But what caused them to flee the tent? Like, something immediate had to have happened for them to just leave with no kind of extra clothing and knowing that they were in sub-zero temperatures. To cut out from the inside of a tent. This could definitely be a possibility if it was a long-term kind of thing, but mm-hmm. it sounds like it, it just happened suddenly. Right. So another theory is that there was a Yeti out there. Enough said. <laughs> what do you think? I mean... Abdominal snowman? I don't know. I love the ride at Walt Disney World. <laughs> I, I don't know that I believe in Yetis, so what about you? There is a true following of this Yeti theory. There's even a documentary out there about it. I've seen some of those documentaries. I don't... I'm, nobody has a picture of this Yeti. With all of our camera phones now, somebody's got to get a damn picture of a Yeti. But if they live on Dead Mountain... Well, that's true. Then nobody survives that. You think the Yeti would kill people? Like, coming into its territory? I mean... They don't want to be known. You know, they're mythical creatures, aren't they? 
I guess. If they don't want to be found out. That's why they live on Dead Mountain. I don't know. I, mean, I did it's... not have a star by that one. I starred that one. You did star. Of course you did. <laughs> but this is why we'll be good as a team because I think that you definitely love all these kind of the yetis and the conspiracy that it's great. So I think we'll be a good balance. <laughs> yes, it's a good balance of like what's real and what's not. <laughs> I'm saying no on the yeti, but you you said yes. Possibly. I, I said that's high up there. <laughs> <laughs> high up there. Not just up there, but high up there for Jennifer. Yes. Okay. Maybe it did rip out that tongue, you know. And now, there you go. A Yeti could definitely, because they're, they're big, right? Very yeah. strong. So mm-hmm. super, like, more than human strength. It's like you pick up a human and take out the tongue. Just take out the tongue and the eyes, but leave the mustache. And maybe that's their preference. Maybe that's what they like. Oh. I don't ever want to dine with a Yeti. (laughs) Okay, so you have Yeti as a yes. I have infra... I can't even say it. (laughs) Infrasound as a yes. Yep. And then there's more. So this one's also high on the list. Of course it was. I knew it was. When I looked at it, I was like, oh, she's going to say this one too. (laughs) UFO sightings. So there are many witnesses that say there were sightings of light bulbs or fireballs in the sky. And that includes like the indigenous people and geologists that were in the area as well. But those could have been the parachute mines too, blowing up above them. No. You don't, you're like, no, absolutely not. This is UFO stuff. <laughs> These are flying saucers, okay? <laughs> um, with the, we're going to have to do a UFO thing too. That one will be interesting. Mm-hmm. But then I see it, it could be debunked, right? Well, okay, so one of the hikers, their cameras caught an image. It and it's, I'm sure, grainy. Yep, yeah, grainy, dark, and there are light orbs. Like they always are. But, you know, I mean, it could definitely be explained. You could either think it's a UFO or during that time, you know, it was the Cold War and the space race. And so it could be, you know, unclear images of like a rocket or maybe an aircraft, maybe even snow. So it could be government stuff or it could be just the elements. Yeah. Or it could be UFOs. Which you're saying it could be (laughs) UFOs. It might be. It might be UFOs. Okay. The next one is probably the most rational. Yes. I have a star by this one. But I don't think it's everything either. Yeah. This one, it's an avalanche. And actually, Russia had reopened the investigation in 2019. And on July 11th of 2020. So just uh, last year. Just last year. Yes, this is a new update, which they say completely just debunks all these theories. Of course they do. Audrey Kuryakov, the deputy head of the Urals Federal District Directorate of the Prosecutor General's Office, announced an avalanche to be the official cause of death for the Dyatlov Group in 1959. Later, independent computer simulations and analysis by the Swiss researchers also suggest avalanche as the cause. So when they did the simulation, was what was the cause of the severe injury to the chest of two of the hikers? Was that from the avalanche coming down and maybe pushing maybe uh, the tree limbs and stuff into their chest? Which uh, that could be. See, I think there may be something to the avalanche one. It's the most the realistic, UFOs. but there's so many questions about the missing eyeballs and the right, missing right. tongue. And then why wasn't everyone also hit with that same force? I mean, I, I feel like they're in... The, a space where if there's an avalanche, it's going to hit everyone equally. Yes, I agree. So why were some so drastic and some were not? And the last one, I do want to say when Yuri Yudin was interviewed after this, first of all, the lone survivor. 
and the survivor's guilt that you have, you know, he did say he wished he went with them because he thought maybe if he was there, he could have stopped something. Only if he brought his mandolin. But if not, they were going to die. He was not experienced in the mandolin. See, then there's no point. He thinks that his friends may have seen something. Some government stuff. Yes. And they weren't supposed to see that. And it was a government cover up. I starred this one, too. I think there could definitely be, like, a mixture of a few of these. And that was one of the ones I also thought sounded like it could... Because you just don't know the government stuff. Right. And I'm not a big conspiracy theory person, but this one, it sounds like... It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. And just the avalanche doesn't make complete sense. Um, Some of the other things sort of... It's like pieces of everything. Like infrasound, avalanche, government... Cover. Don't throw those aliens in there. I saw that. No, no, no. Not slipping those aliens in there. But it could have been a mixture of some things, too. Yeah, that's true. It could. It could be. What are your afterthoughts? After doing all this research, watching a bunch of videos, reading a ton on this case, I did see that there's a theory that, and this came out after... The most recent theory. Yeah, the most recent theory is that Igor, you know, him being the inventor that he is, he had a stove. And actually, there's a photo of the stove in the tent. And so there's an exhaust pipe like outside of the tent, and they know that the hikers did use it the day before the incident happened. Mm -hmm. The theory is the stove exploded inside of the tent, Mm -hmm. so they're trying to ventilate it. Well, when that doesn't work, they have to rip out that side, or they they frantically frantically escape. But then why would they run from the stove? If they cut it open and they get out of the tent, why would they run so far away and then start undressing and Sasha's wearing... You know, somebody else's fur coat and hat. Like, why would that happen just because a stove exploded in the tent? That's true. That could only explain, I think, a part of it. Just why there was maybe a cut from the inside of the tent. Yeah. And there were burn marks, apparently, also on the clothes and the bodies. So maybe that could also explain some of of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much other stuff, you know, is left to interpretation. So if they had that happen, if the stove exploded, and so they had to cut to get out of the tent really quick, Mm -hmm. and then they went to that other area where they had, like, fashioned a little place to stay, Mm -hmm. that still doesn't explain why their bodies were found in such different areas, does it? You would think that maybe they'd all head in the same direction. Right. Or maybe they were mad at Igor because his his stove was faulty. (laughs) (laughs) Like... Yeah. Let's just leave Igor. <laughs> you messed up our hike, buddy. Right. I, I wouldn't think that just they Igor would. bringing his stupid stove. But it helped them eat, you know, it, it helped did. them cook their Until food. it blew up and then it didn't. If anything that would destroy the tent, you wouldn't expect that to end up in their death. No, not at all. That's why I think it could have happened, but I don't think it's why they all died. Yeah, yeah, that could explain why they left the tent and the way the tent was, because I think for so long, nobody knew why there were knife marks from inside the tent. And that Um, makes sense. They couldn't figure that out. So the stove definitely kind of explains that part. (laughs) It may have caused their deaths if they all died of hypothermia. Putting out the elements because the stove blew up and they didn't have a tent anymore and some of the stuff burnt. Mm -hmm. So maybe... And like I said, most of them did die from hypothermia. Like that was the ultimate cause of death. Now those are all the ones that are up on the diagram exiting first too. Well, I guess they're all going to end up dying from hypothermia except maybe the two that had the chest wounds, right? Right, yes. Those two, they did die from 
that force of trauma. Do you think it was just like a mix of a bunch of really bad accidents? The stove blew up, and so they're running from the tent, and then this avalanche comes down, and then a Yeti gets to them, and then UFOs. It just could, could be, be everything, huh? It really could be like everything. The worst day ever for these hikers. Yep, and then, you know, military testing with their parachute mines. Yeah, then you got catabatic winds. It could just mm-hmm. be a little bit of everything. Yes, Those are the many theories. There was another theory where they think some of the hikers were actually involved in this conspiracy, you know, like they knew it was going to happen. And some even think Yuri Yudin had something to do with it. I think that's far-fetched. I don't think so. Yeah, with all that survivor's guilt that he had, I don't think that that would be the case. Yeah, and then what would, why? Why would those particular group of intelligent people be, unless they knew something that the government didn't want them to know? But we know it wasn't that they knew how to build a a stove very well. So that wasn't the secret. No. (laughs) Okay, well, this was a good one. This is definitely a lot to research. You did really well. Thank you. I tried. (laughs) I know Russia already confirmed the cause of deaths. And they're saying avalanche. I'm curious, like everyone else thinks. Let us know your theories about this. Do you think it's one of the ones that was mentioned or have you heard a completely different theory? Do you think it was a combination? You know, do you think it was UFOs or a Yeti? Don't say you think it's UFOs or Yeti. <laughs> Don't feed into that. <laughs> Actually feed into that. That's what we're here for. This is our... This is a safe place for everyone who believes in UFOs and Yetis and government conspiracies. And then also for the people that are like, it was just an avalanche and some bad stove design. Yeah. (laughs) You know, to Russia, it was just an avalanche. All right, Russia. But we'll have our thoughts as well. But our next episode is actually going to be about Phoebe Hanschuk. That was the episode that got me into true crime podcasts. Or that was the case that got me into true crime. crime. But the Phoebe Hanschuk case will be episode two. If you like true crime or any spooky kind of stories, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Freshly Brewed Noir. Or send us a Gmail at freshlybrewednoir at gmail.com. If you have any feedback, any ideas of things you want us to cover, any stories, we are glad to hear it. This is Summer and Jennifer of Freshly Brewed Noir saying, don't go on hikes. Even if you're experienced, do not hike. And if you do, you should take how many mandolins, Jennifer? At least two. So until next time, stay caffeinated. Bye, guys. (laughs) 